0: Good morning, my name is Margarita Cabellian. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 12 through 22. This reading is from the Common English Bible. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. A murder plot discovered. The next morning, some Jewish leaders formulated a plot and solemnly promised that they wouldn't eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 people were involved in the conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have solemnly promised to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. You and the council must explain to the commander that you need Paul brought down to you. Pretend that you want to examine his case more closely We're prepared to kill him before he arrives. Paul's sister had a son who heard about the ambush, and he came to the military headquarters and reported it to Paul. Paul called for one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. He took him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you." The the commander took him by the hand and withdrew to a place where they could speak privately. He asked, What do you have to report to me? He replied, The Jewish leaders have conspired to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow. They will pretend that they want to investigate his case more closely. Don't fall for it. More than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have solemnly promised not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, awaiting your consent. The commander dismissed the young man, ordering him, Don't tell anyone that you brought this to my attention. The word of the Lord.
1: all right all right we continue in our act series the spirit infused multi-ethnic church and uh, this is a loving scripture series by renew and you just heard acts 23 verses 12 through 22 in the common english bible version thank you for reading that you know last week i talked about how there's so much division in our country right now and actually in the world. There's so many differences and conflict. And we hear uh, in our nation about so much violence uh, that's been happening, violence against people of color, violence between people who disagree, violence even with our words on social media, hostility and anger and rage. And you may ask yourself, what is going on? Why can't we get along? What is happening where ideologies and politics and other things can uh, cause us to have so much animosity towards people of a different tribe, people who hold a different belief system, people who um, disagree with us? Why is it so hard to communicate? Why is it so hard to be civil? Why is it so hard to even worship in the same place together? to be a community together within even one church that there would be division and difference in beliefs to the point that relationship is broken, intimacy and trust is broken. So much violence. And then you hear on the news as things, as we've been in quarantine for like a year and a half across our nation that just, just this this Heat, this rage is bubbling forth and you hear about shootings, right? Why are there so many mass shootings? People with guns walking into businesses, walking into schools, just walking into places and shooting people. Why is there so much anger? The other day, our church had the opportunity to have a pop-up clinic come in, helping hands come in, the organization helping hands come in, and do a pop-up COVID vaccine clinic, Moderna, um, in our parking lot on Wednesday for different people in the community to come um, who haven't had um, the opportunity maybe, maybe they're working, maybe they just haven't had the access or or they've been on the fence, but to provide vaccination. And we had a good amount of people come. But as we're posting these things on social media, we also obviously got pushback, and a lot of the pushback we got were from other Christians. I can't believe this church would do this, would promote a vaccine. I can't believe um, that you would not have faith in the healing hand of Jesus. We don't need a vaccine, you have Jesus. One person on our social, one of our social media sites said, This church needs Jesus, right? And I'm like, immediately when I read that inside me, it's like, you don't know us. You don't know me. You're saying I need Jesus. You just want to like, you know, disassemble them with your words. And that's the temptation, right? So, but the question is like, we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. So how is it that? quote-unquote, believers, disciples of Jesus, people of faith, or whole churches can come and say to another church or other Christians, you need Jesus. You don't have faith. Right? Where is all this anger coming from? And last week we talked about As Paul revealed in the council that it wasn't so much that they really believed in their heart scripturally and religiously that Paul was a threat to Yahweh to their practice of faith. That he really needed to be shut down because Paul just mentioned resurrection of the body and chose one side. And all of a sudden, it became less about Paul and convicting Paul and more about their political and theological disagreements that already existed, the division that already existed among them. And so what Paul clearly reveals in his shrewdness is the political motivation, the political agenda that sometimes religious people like us we can't separate ourselves from that we can't separate our churches from that we can't separate our own faith from that that we step outside that maybe we hide behind our faith or our religion christianity the church to defend things that actually aren't about jesus aren't don't reflect god's heart they're more about our own ambitions right our own motivations our own agendas and my question that i bring up today out of today's scripture because there's a lot of things i could preach about from this passage namely i've heard a lot of pastor preachers speak about the providence of god and that's a good sermon that'll preach right paul is in danger there's a plot against him right no one knows about it the commander The Roman commander is about to deliver Paul into an ambush. These religious leaders uh, go to the religious council and say, Hey, go tell the Roman commander that you want to keep meeting and talking about Paul. You just want to continue the conversation and the dialogue to get down to the bottom of what's happening and come down to the situation. It'll be a civil discourse, right? come have a meal come to our house and let's talk about Paul and, and, and resolve this but as he's on his way to you the council don't worry about it you can wipe your hands clean of this you can say oh I had no part of this we will ambush him on the on a road in the alley and take his life so there's this plot and the commander is just about to deliver Paul into the jaws of death And Paul's nephew, like we only hear about Paul's nephew maybe one other time in the New Testament. Paul's nephew learns of this plot and warns Paul. And then Paul says, go tell this to the Roman commander. Go go tell him. Don't tell anyone else. Right? Which tells you there's a lot of, you know, secrecy going on. There's a lot of double agents. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to talk to because you know, it could get out to other places. And Paul really wants to be careful with this information, right? Paul is into uncovering plots and is still into preserving his own life, if it means that. So he tells his nephew to go to the Roman commander. The Roman commander is like, what? I can't believe this. Let me send 200 soldiers and we'll take Paul to a different place. We'll go protect him take them to a safe house, right? And the plot is foiled. So I can talk about, that was a long segue into a pause into the point I was making. I can talk about God's providence, right? Even when we don't know it, even when we don't know it, God is working for us. God is defending us. God is going to find a way to protect us, to save us, to deliver us from destruction. Or God uses the most insignificant people. God uses people who you wouldn't expect to be deliverers, to be vehicles of his providence, of his salvation. Paul's nephew. We don't hear much about him in the New Testament. But he hears of this plot and tells Paul on them. He goes to the Roman commander and speaks to him and saves Paul's life. Right? A murder plot is discovered is what, what the, the title of this section is in my, in my Bible. Right? Wow. God in this providence reveals the murder plot. And while that may be a good sermon, the providence of God, I think I want to focus in on something else. And I want to focus in on the rage and the anger behind what would lead some Jewish leaders to want to plot and kill Paul over and against the Roman authority um, that set over them. Furthermore, what's interesting to note is these Jewish leaders formulate this plot and the scripture says, verse 12, and solemnly promise that they wouldn't eat or drink and they had, until they had killed Paul. We are going to fast until, we're going to keep fasting until we kill Paul, until we murder Paul. Whether it takes three days, whether it takes a week, whether it takes 40 days, we're going to not eat and not drink. Right? So not only is the their passion and their conviction and their their pot committed. They're really going to do this. They're so angry. They want to kill Paul and they're not going to stop at anything to do it. And they're even attaching a spiritual, you know, pious element to it, right? We will fast. We will uh, fast and we will pray. And they're coming to the council and saying this like don't worry like we'll get rid of this problem for you just play along with us like what would lend towards leaders faith leaders and on top of that you know the council represent spiritual leaders set before the people to be stewards you know of the the faith Of god's people right to be experts of the law to be teachers of scripture to be shepherds of the people of god's love like what is the worship of yahweh right if you read through the old testament right isn't there love and justice and grace and compassion isn't there a strong element of being a community, a strong community that loves God with all its heart and all its might and loves neighbor as themselves? Isn't this what marks the people of God? Right? So what would it be, what would it take to drive people into such violence and anger, like such vehemence that they'd want to get rid of someone. Isn't this what happened with Jesus? Jesus, an innocent man who loved people, who touched people, who healed people, who only did good on the Sabbath, right? Who clearly the people saw was a rabbi, a great teacher, His disciples saw him as the Messiah who talked about loving your neighbor, who told amazing parables that the common, ordinary person could resonate with, who was a picture of God's love here on earth. What would push the religious leaders, the temple leaders of the day, to want to crucify Jesus. What is that rage in us? What is that anger in us? Right. Having uh, been in counseling a lot throughout my life in different, different sessions or having counseled people or just being uh, engaged with my own family We know, let's take the family one. We know that it's hard to hang out with family. And for many of us, I'm not saying everyone. Some of you are like the Brady Bunch and get along with your family and it's happy time, right? But for many of us, COVID uh, quarantine has been a reprieve. Like, oh, I don't have to get together at Thanksgiving with my parents and my siblings. Oh, I don't have to get together at Christmas with my parents and siblings because whenever we get together, they push my buttons, right? I'm at peace in my own life, in my own city, raising my own family. I don't have to deal with the the, the frustration and the impatience and the rage that comes when, oh, that one thing, your mom just says it in one particular way or your dad says this and it just pushes that button and you're like, All of a sudden, you're 12 years old again, and you're like, "Take me away! I want out of here!" Right? Family know us deeply. They know the we know the precise ways, the the very buttons to push to elicit anger or frustration. Or you're in a certain situation, you're stressed, and something just Releases maybe it's you know an experience of hurt you had in the past, maybe it's an experience of rejection you had in the past or of being abandoned in the past, right? And someone says something or an incident happens, and your emotional reaction to that incident is more, right? Way more, you're overwhelmed, way more than what the situation actually. Should, should cause you to react. That's because a button has been pushed. Pandora's box has been opened. And that's the same, right? A lot of times we can look at our systems or our society or our culture and we can say, oh, everything's good, right? We're at peace, you know? We're diverse. You know, people love each other. People are being good neighbors. Nothing bad's happening. There's no racism around us. You know, like everyone's getting along. I don't see any of that, you know. And then something happens, right? The status quo is being was pushed at or is threatened. Those in power are threatened or a crisis hits like we've experienced. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the monster comes out. Right? And the rage comes out. And that rage won't be contained, won't be stopped unless until there's a scapegoat. Until there's a scapegoat that can be blamed and destroyed. And many people talk about how the crucifixion of and execution of Jesus, incar- incarceration, torture, and crucifixion of Jesus, right, was in ev- an inevitable, well, it was God's plan, right? But also it was an e- inevitable outcome of right, an angry, unjust, unrighteous system that needed a scapegoat and wouldn't be appeased until that scapegoat was destroyed. We do this all the time as as communities, as nations, as peoples, even as churches, organizations, or families. The heat rises and there's so much pressure and something touches your button or you feel threatened or you feel like you might lose your sense of control or you might lose your power. right? Oh, those people, those immigrants coming in, taking our jobs. Right? I'm going to lose my job. I won't be able to take care of my family. I'm economically insecure. Let's blame those immigrants, those other people, those brown people who are taking our jobs. Let's blame them. They're the reason. Now let's go beat them. Let's go mistreat them. Let's go send them back to where they came from. Let's go say to that Asian person, go back to your country. Right. Refugees, we don't have room for you. We just need to take care of us and ours. Go back home. Hey, let's enact laws to restrict the amount of immigrants that come in. Like, Let's push them out. Let's keep them out. This is our nation. This is our country. This is our neighborhood. We can't let the dirty people come in. Rage and anger. What is it for us? Well, we'll start with our communities. Like, what would it take, what in our community would elicit, like, uproar? You know something that's out of our control some sort of disruption or an uns you know a group of people or a person who just doesn't fit in with our culture or our sense of like propriety or righteousness right and isn't that what it comes down to for faith groups for churches right and here in this passage it's about righteous and unrighteous right Because we take our political ambitions or agendas and we hide behind religious language and we begin to weaponize scripture. We weaponize, you know, Jesus. We weaponize the Bible. We weaponize the gospel, right? What is the gospel, though? The gospel is good news. Yeah, right? God's work working salvation in people's lives, and that being good news. And yet, oftentimes, we use our faith, we use the Bible, we use scripture, we use a sense of righteousness versus unrighteousness to wreak havoc, to institute violence, right? To justify violence against other people. Right? Let's get rid of those people. Let's teach those people, right? Our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, will have our annual meeting later this summer. And at this annual meeting, uh, one of the proposals on the table is a resolution um, against, standing against the doctrine of discovery. And a quick history uh, lesson. In the 1400s or so, there was a papal decree um, where the Pope said to people going out you know, and sailing and discovering the new world that, that any new lands discovered were gods and would belong to um, the nation or the country um, who discovered that land. In spite of whatever people were living there before, whoever was living there, those, were sav- those people were savages and would be, have to be enfolded into the faith. But land was ours, right? Discovery of, doctrine of discovery. If you discover it, God says it's yours because it is for God's mission, right? You can imagine, right? And what did I see the other day? Um, In the news in Canada, they discovered the bones of children outside of a school of Native children, right? Indigenous children that were part of these schools that were kind of there to enculturate Indigenous children to be more like the white people that, you know, were colonizing them. Or you hear stories of slaves. Right? and other atrocities against Native Americans in the discovery of our nation. All of that violence, all of that anger. Let's kill Paul. Let's kill Paul because God is behind us. It doesn't matter. We are right. They are wrong. And we still do that. Maybe not in such vicious ways, but we have a tendency to be like, We are righteous. We are in the right and we have God behind us. And this is why I can mistreat you. This is why it doesn't matter what it says in the Bible about God's love for the foreigner or the refugee, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. Or how much Jesus talked about the poor and loving the marginalized. In Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For I have come to proclaim freedom to the captives the breaking of the chains and good news for the poor. No, don't worry about that. What you read in the Bible about God's heart. Where in Scripture does God say, push people out, this is your land, take that land, that's your land. Where in the Scripture does it say that? And yet, we justify our violence and anger and destruction of other people in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. And this is what I see in this passage, right, that the system is set against Paul, that the evil in humanity and its institutions are set against Paul, the supposed, faithful and peaceful ones the loving ones right when pushed when their backs are against the wall we see your true colors we see the true colors where money is threatened where power is threatened where position is threatened we see the true colors come out And church where does that leave us just as Paul is shrewd and he can see all of this and he knows how to negotiate this terrain we need to open our eyes right and be street smart right institutional racism smart systemic oppression smart right we need to be aware and wise to the ways of the world. Not be like deemed uh, ineffective because we're in our corner here being like,
0: happy Jesus.
1: Let's praise God. The world is good. We are family. Praise God. Right? But we have eyes to see truth. We have eyes to see the world as it is and we're willing to call it out. We're willing to stand up against it. We're willing to speak truth and not compromise, even if it means persecution, even if it means not being liked, even if it means we remain a small church labeled progressive or liberal, right? We don't need any of those labels. We just need to be a church that loves Jesus and knows and loves scripture and is about God's work of good news and renewal in the world. Right? Because the way I see it, what I see in the New Testament, if you're loving people, people will try to kill you. That's what I see here. Wow. Wow. Don't be naive. For us personally as individuals, what are the things that push your buttons? Right? When things don't go as planned or when you lose control or you have, what do you have expectations? And when those expectations are met, like that. You know that little tantrum? I'm 46 years old, but I still throw tantrums. Maybe it doesn't look like you know, a three year old in a grocery store, but it's a tantrum because I didn't get what I wanted in the way I wanted it when I wanted it. So, what is that in your heart that causes you to throw a tantrum and get angry or want to gossip about someone, tear someone down? We don't, most of us are probably never actually physically violent. But we can be violent with our words and the ways that we speak about other people and the ways that we position ourselves to step over people, to make ourselves look good and them look bad, to destroy someone's reputation or to be like those people over there. What are the ways we do that? So we're going to take some time as a worship... uh, Music plays um, to confess, you know, to pray on your own, or if you want, you know, just confess um, in, in the comments. Um, and then we'll close this time with prayer and be sent on our way. God, as the music plays, will you make us a humble people, um, a people that has eyes to see? Um, where evil has taken foothold and is um, stirring up trouble, bad trouble, stirring up violence, stirring up enmity and animosity among us, with other people, inside us, with our family members, and show us how we can be culpable or we're vulnerable to that, to use righteousness to justify um, our own um, selfish and angry ambitions. Help us to confess. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you uh, for that time to sing and worship and reflect, and thank you for those things that were shared, and the things that were not spoken, we trust that you heard, your spirit is even now moving to transform and to heal and forgive, and to lift us up as new people every day, in Jesus' name, amen.